Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. You're listening to MAP Sports Take. Whether it's breaking news or sports business, this is your home for unmuzzled and unconventional sports talk. With assistant general manager, director of player personnel, and three-time world champion on his resume, David Turner has a thing or two to teach you about pro football. At his side is Ryan Roberts, former college football player, football coach, and NFL Draft Bible's director of scouting. Together, they're here to take you on a deep dive into what goes on in the world of sports. Ryan and David, take it away. Welcome to Mav Sports Take, episode 50, your weekly podcast for sports business and a whole lot more. Here we tackle the business of all the news that you hear about in the sports world and a lot that you do not. Tonight, of course, the 50th episode of me and Mr. David Turner talking ball. It's been almost a year, David, since we started this podcast that is now, of course, part of the One Institution platform. Shout out to One Institution. Shout out to everybody that is out there in Twitter land, YouTube, uh, verse. No, nah, it's usually Twitter verse. Twitter verse, YouTube land, Facebook, Kingdom. <laughs> All the great people that are listening to us, which is the reason that we come back each and every week because of the great um, support that we get from everybody out there. Take live questions all day. And I know tonight we're going to be kind of doing a free-for-all 50th anniversary here, the 50th episode. We're going to be talking some of our favorite shows over the last 50 shows that we have done. And we're going to be talking a little bit of a topic of our own choice. So David's going to give me a topic. I don't know what it is. I'm going to give him a topic. He also doesn't know what it is. And then we're going to take some mailbag questions. Shout out to everybody that gave us mailbag questions. David Turner, how are we tonight, my friend? Of course. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. I, I skipped the beat here. 19-year scouting vets across the NFL, CFL, and Arena Leagues, including stops with the Carolina Panthers, New York Giants, San Francisco 49ers, Miami Dolphins, and the New York Giants. Did I say the Giants twice? I don't know if I did, but there we go. And, of course, three straight Arena League championships with the Arizona Rattlers. He's got three rings on his fingers, folks. David, how are we, my friend? I'm doing well, doing well. I always love the way you introduce me. You make me feel so big um, <laughs> and, and important. But, no, it's uh, it's going to be a fun show tonight. You know, obviously, it's a testament to you and the fans and everybody that um, makes this show work, Joe DeLeon and and everybody from, you know, putting us together and getting us, uh, keeping us here. It's just really fun to do this show. As you and I have become really good friends over the course of this last year, teaching Friday Night Scout School and doing the show and doing so many other things together. It's just exciting that we're still alive and on and on uh, and on air, man. And people want to continue to hear us uh, talk about football and sports and the business of sports and bringing our own twist to it. So thank you to everybody. I hope you have fun with us tonight. Again, we are live, like Ryan said. Go in the chat, drop us some questions, comments. Ask us to talk about one of your favorite episodes. Totally on board with all that tonight. We just want to celebrate you, the podcast, and you know what? A little bit of each other. This is an incredible night. And I would say, again, another big shout-out to everybody out there because I think we got the most – uh, mailbag questions that we've ever gotten. And I know we're looking forward to getting to that. We're going to talk about some of our favorite shows. Before we get into that, we here at Maverick Sports Consulting would like to speak to athletes, parents, and schools trying to navigate the new name, image, and likeness market. 
Here at Mavericks, we are helping tailor the right marketing plan for athletes in the marketplace. Opportunities are everywhere. And if you're struggling to make them because of all the craziness surrounding the new name, image, and likeness platforms, please contact us us to help you make money while you play collegiate sports. Let our history of negotiation contracts working with companies to market their ideal customers and make sure your deal doesn't conflict with your school's existing deal so that all parties can ultimately make money. Don't leave money on the table. Sign up today with Maverick Sports Consulting. Visit maverickSportsConsulting.com for further information. So, David, I wanted to get into some of our favorite shows. I figure go back and forth here. Maybe we'll do it that way. Um, if you had to ask me, and we've had some phenomenal guests, a lot of phenomenal guests. We've had first-round picks on here. We've had guys that run the Shrine Bowl. Uh, we've had guys that run the College Gridiron Showcase. We've had former scouts, former director of player personnel. We've had so many fantastic um, fantastic guests over the last 50 episodes. The one that I wanted to bring up first, which was one of my favorite because it was right in the midst of all the craziness with COVID-19 and all the repercussions according so. And it was right after NCAA had said that, like, hey, if you are a collegiate athlete, you're going to get an extra year of eligibility. And we're, ta- of course, talking from the, from the football scope here because that's what we do. And we had on Mr. Quinton Ganther, who was a former Utah running back, was at that point the running back coach at Weber State. Now the running back coach at for the Jacksonville Jaguars under head coach Urban Meyer. And, of course, we had Mr. James Kirkland, who at the time was the director of player personnel for the University of Illinois. And, of course, a former scout um, spent some time with your Oakland Raiders at the time. So had them on. And I thought it was a fantastic conversation for a lot of different reasons. One, we had two men that were currently working in college departments. One, of course, from the coaching perspective and the other from more of a front office. I know he's you know still technically a coach, but from the director of player personnel where their jobs might be intertwined, but of course they have different responsibilities on the daily. And I think that we got a lot of great perspective from there. And we saw – Quinton, tell us, you know, like some of these guys, man, are, you know, had a decision like, am I going to try to test the waters? Am I going to opt out? Am I going to use the extra year? And, it, you know, he was talking about a couple guys, and, of course, he didn't name drop, but he's saying a couple of the players in the end of, on his team, they're not going to play professional football, and they're misguided, and they're like thinking like, oh, maybe I should just make the jump instead of using the extra year, and, and who knows what I can do and all that type of stuff. And it was – refreshing to me because a lot of I feel like a lot of guys that we may have had on David to talk about something like that they may have said like oh it's it's whatever the best decision for them is and you know ultimately what makes them happy what they're happy with their family happy you know very political type of response but for me what I found refreshing was Quintana came on here and he told us exactly what he was on his mind man we talk about the unmuzzled talk he told us straight up it's a mistake you need to be more educated. It's 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 a mistake not to ask your coaches, not to ask your family, not to get multiple perspectives before you make a decision. So I know we both love that episode, but I just really wanted to, to start that one out for me during a time that was so troubling and so many tribulations and trials and, and, and so much uncertainty. 
I think having guys that came on here and were real with us and told us their real honest opinion and didn't just give us fluff like a lot of people would, uh, no, <laughs> no disrespect to ESPNs and those, but like those guys would be on there and they'd be like, you know, well, it's best interest of their whatever they want to do. We had two gentlemen that had been there, done that in the college departments at the time. And they both laid it on us and told us exactly what they thought. And I respected them both tremendously for giving us an honest assessment of the landscape and and of student athletes that were making not the right choices all the time, some bad choices as well. Yeah. And, you know, for me, when I look at it, I was just like, you know what? It's uh, that episode. Not only did uh, we get honest assessment from what was really going on, we really got to hear, like you said, from decision makers, what they're looking for and, and how it was not working um, for kids to transfer and kids to opt out. And and they heard it from the horse's mouth. Now, I don't know if they took it and ran with it, if they listened to it, what um, what have you. But it was a situation where, you know, you really, if you were smart about it, if you were a parent and you uh, were having your kids, you know, pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, here we were able to bring two people that worked in major college football, coach, recruiter, you know, player personnel director, and let them hear, like, this is not the way to treat your program, your career, your co- and take advantage and maximize your college days while you are fortunate enough to play in college. You know, like, don't just opt out. You're not going to have a shot at the NFL. Now, the only st- strategic move that they didn't talk about right which we didn't bring up at the time was if you opted out and you wanted to go to grad school right now you opt out and you gain a year back and you go to grad school or maybe you were behind on your credits to graduate before your eligibility was up so by opting out now you gained a little time to finish that degree. It was, you know, again, I don't think the players were thinking strategically with it. I really don't. I, and it, I think it's a post-fact op, um, kind of thought that I had was like, you know, how do you strategically use this in your benefit or, you know, whatever. And, you know, I think that was one way. I don't, I, again, I don't think a lot of kids did that, but you know, for, for me, like you said, we were in the thick of COVID we were in the thick of uh, like how's this going to affect recruiting. We still see it's going to have ripple effects for recruiting, not only in 2022 but probably 2023. Not a lot of spots are opening up, and then all these kids are entering the transfer portal, which we got into with James a few weeks ago again, and it and it's it's a mess with where where it was, and I think where we still stand. Right. Yeah, and it's it's evolved to say the least. I mean, because then we talked about. I mean, like you're saying, we talked about James Kirk uh, to James Kirkland about the fact of like quick fixes, right? And like we're 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 abolishing the scholarship limit, right? It's not 85 anymore. For a year, you can have as many scholarship players as you want because it is a freebie. But eventually, we talk about roster construction all the time. We talk about it more on a professional level, but like. Man, you have to have some foresight with understanding because, like, not only, you know, obviously those grad transfers are coming off the books, but then also, like, the guys that are going to be fifth year seniors normally are 
like some of those guys are not going to get invited back because their sheer number. Are there going to be a, a mass exodus of transfers when you're bringing in some of these transfers? So um, I think that there's a, it's, I think it's cyclical to a degree. I think it's going to correct itself eventually, but I think the short-term outlook is going to be very cloudy with a lot of the, the, just the, <laughs> a lot of the negativity that is surrounding it. Now that was one for me, David, I would love you to highlight a show, a moment, whatever it is that stuck with you that you wanted to, you know, kind of reminisce about for a second. You know, that like we've been so fortunate to have so many incredible guests. I mean, I when we were preparing for this show, I sat and I started thinking about it, Ryan. I was like, from having Tom Policero yeah. and Steve Weishon. I mean, two gentlemen that are on NFL Network have their own, you know, massive followings on social media and everything. Come be on our show and become unmuzzled. Like they accepted our way of doing things where it's like drop F bombs, say shit, we don't give a fuck, you know? <laughs> and and really just tells the rawness of things that they can't do on their channel, right? They can't do in their in their mediums. And they embraced it and did it. And then your embracing of my ideas and bringing other ideas like this to the table about, you know, talking to Ian um, about, you know, social justice when all when when a lot of stuff social justice was going on last last year, um, putting the women's panel together last summer and talking to the ladies about how we can include them and we come out understanding it's not about all they are looking for is inclusion. They don't, they just want to be part of the conversation. And that's not like say, give me the interview, but like, you know, be part of walking and talking with the men um, through the journeys of being professionals in this business, in this industry. Um, you know, we've had some great guests like uh, uh, Shaminka, uh, the head strength coach up at the U S coast guard. I mean, here's a woman who's been, who's, head of football and head of strength and conditioning, one of four women in this country that can say they do it. And she's at a institution of uh, the U S coast guard. Like she's at one of our, you know, prize institutions in this country. So, you know, I think about those guests and I, like you said, I think about the fun ones we have on too. Like when we had uh, Oh man, we've had, you know, just so many fun guests on just to shoot the, shoot the shit and have some fun with and take the edge off and, and, uh, you know, even a couple weeks ago, we had Keisha on and we we're talking about dating athletes and stuff and, you know, how that works and and how women have scouting reports on men before they go out and all that stuff, you know. So and then we pulled off a live draft show this year. I'll be honest with you. That's probably our, my most proud moment is that you and me and Joe and, and our guests pulled off a live draft show for three straight days and talked about all the players and were able to give the insight to all these uh all, all the uh, crowd that they probably didn't know about every single player. And yeah. it was, you know, the, like we've done so much over 50 episodes and over a course of less than a year. It's just amazing. Yeah. And I was definitely going to mention the women's panel. Cause that was a bittersweet one for me. Cause remember I was, I was having a little bit of internet connection issues right there. Right. So you were like leaning it for a little bit. And we had Catherine Raish on there who is now, the vice president of football operations for the Philadelphia Eagles, who was not in that position at the time. So it was awesome just to see, we're talking about like, Hey, the, the ability to be a woman in sports and then to ascend in the markets that is not usually fair to women 
to seeing her short term, you know, just the the rise that she's had in the Philadelphia Eagles organization has been fantastic. And we talk about some of the players. I want to bring up some of the players we've had, right? Um, some fantastic guests. Spencer Brown, um, of course, that went to the Buffalo Bills, you know, that I was a big fan of, obviously. Um, we had uh, a, a young man that I wanted to talk about a little bit because, hey, remember we had Peyton Turner on the show? We and did. Then, he was a surprise first rounder and he had such a good time with us. He was like, yeah, I'll come back. I'll come back again. So he came on all, during the live draft show that you highlighted a little bit. So Mad Sports Take this year had a first round pick on it, which was fantastic considering, again, it was our first year. Like, it's only going to get better from here, which is really cool to see. And just the, the impact of some of these athletes that we've had on the show and, and just to see the, the, positivity that they've brought already to NFL franchises and and hopefully for a long time to come. I think it was really fun to see a guy like Peyton Turner. I'll tell you another one, David, that I really wanted to bring up. And this is a recent one for us, right? We're talking last week. We had the director of the Shrine Bowl. Come on, Mr. Eric Galco, who I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be honest with you. When we first, you know, booked Eric, I assumed that Eric was going to come on. And he was going to say, I'm just happy to be here. I want to bring the Shrine Bowl back, all that good stuff. Man, I was like, my boy came out swinging. He's like, nope, I want to be number one. There, like, There's no doubt about it. I don't want to just be a really good event. I want to be the best offseason event in the NFL. So he, what did he do? In only a few weeks after he gets the job, he moves it to Vegas. He's he's um, kind of par- he's partnering with the NFL, being a, kind of the extension of the Pro Bowl week right into the East West game. And Eric Galco's like, "We're we're fighting now, man. Like, let's go. We're, I'm going to get some of your guys because I, we can do this. We can offer them a lot of things." So having Eric Galco come on and be so candid and so open about the fact of like, "Hey, I don't want to be number two. I don't want to be a great number two. I want to be number one. I thought that was a fantastic conversation. I wish we could have kept him on a little longer because I know we want to talk some some uh, player talk, but we'll get him back on because it was a great conversation. No, we definitely will get him back on. We'll get him here and we'll get him uh, talking players. But there's so much time to do that. We didn't need to come out the gate with that. I think it was really important for the audience to you know learn why he did it, um, why what he's going, what the benefits for the players will be, what the players of the for the agents, the benefits for the agents will be when they uh, by selecting the Shrine Bowl over the Senior Bowl and stuff. Um, it really, it really was an incredible conversation, and it goes back to the ability to get the guests. I mean, you know, they and, and again they accept that we're unmuzzled. They come on, they know what we're about, which is kind of cool uh, for me, you know, because it was like you know we're we're just want everybody. to hear the real deal we don't want like you said the cookie cutter answers and all the crap we want them to hear the real deal so for them to come on and be part of it it was uh and for eric to embrace that like you said as a director level who you know often the directors are like well i can say a certain portion of some of this but i can't say it all and he was like nope screw it this is what we're doing and it was like it was awesome. It was great, and like you know, I, I I feel that we'll get Eric on at least two more times before the draft and before his event. And you know, we reached out to him this week, and I told him obviously if Mavs can do anything to support him and his efforts, let us know. Yeah, and I, I think we need to get Jim Nagy on soon too, man. You know, here not a problem. Report. I'll text Nagy. I'll text. I'll give him a holler. <laughs> I'll give him a holler. 
I love it, man. I love it. I, David, I know that we've had so many great moments and we've highlighted a bunch. I'm going to let you end. Is there one more that you want to throw out there before we get into a little bit of a free-for-all section? Is there one that kind of stuck with you as a big moment for us? You know, for us as a, as a team, as a pairing, um, I, I want to say like the biggest moment or the second biggest moment, because I really thought the live draft show was a big moment. I never in my career as a scout thought I would sit and talk intimately about players to the public and share all that, you know, like all that information is just something I've been bred not to share. You just keep it in, but to then do that and have a great cast that, you know, we pulled together was just in, in the guests we had and everything. It was just amazing. So I, I enjoy that so much, but the social justice, uh, Derek show, you know, we had Derek on Derek day yeah. on, that was a really cool show because it's off topic for us a little bit. It was not so much business of sports, but it was uh, the social justice and, you know, how, how athletes uh, should approach that in their careers. And, you know, this way it won't injure or hurt themselves, but really explode. And Derek is such a interesting individual himself with how he approaches life and, you know, he was a former pastor and he still has a lot of faith in God and he's got his boys, you know, his sons. And, you know, now he runs a, a incredible podcast on the one institution network himself. And, you know, again, it's just incredible that I sit and talk to Derek cause it was different for us, you know, and I like that different for us a little bit once in a while. Um, but social justice for you and for myself, is such a big thing, you know, my you working in what I would call more inner city, um, yep. you know, racially diverse school as a teacher um, and a special ed teacher. That's so you handle a lot of the adversity these young men and women face from a very young age. And then for me, you know, I was able to be part of the the HBCU combine this year, football combine, and pull it off for the first one ever. So you know, these are things that we've put you know work into is trying to fight for equality and and be a supporter of of uh minorities you know because we're not in that class but there's ways we can empathize and, su and supply our support for it so learning that and doing that i think those were the special moments of for me this year now and that, those were some fantastic moments to say the least and i i completely agree the conversation with derek i think was really deep we also had um the, the female uh, Dylan, right from uh, UNLV, the basketball player who also talked about Dylan Gonzalez. Yeah, that's another great guest. It really was, man. He, she because she gave us not only the perspective of being a minority, right, of being a person of color, but also being a woman that was in the sports world and has, you know, continued obviously to ascend in her realm as well as a actress, singer. Like she did everything. <laughs> like it was crazy. So. A lot of great, um, a lot of great guests that we've had. We look forward to more great guests into the future. And I know we wanted to transition a little bit here into a little more of hot button talk. Uh, we're going to call it a free for all section. We're going to call it basically, and to be very honest about this, me and David both have a topic that we wanted to discuss. I don't know what he's going to discuss. I have no idea. So this is going to be a generic, organic reaction <laughs> to each other's topics. So, David, would you like to start or would you like me to start? I'll give you the option. I'll let uh, – yeah, I flipped the coin. You won, so I'll let you okay. go first. Okay. Sounds good. Oh, and also, if anybody 
wants to throw in, and I would say now or after the show, if you want to give us what your favorite moment, if you are one of uh, one of our loyal loyal listeners who come to every week, if you want to tell us one of your favorite moments of Mavs Sports Take in the 50 episodes, we would love to hear it. We love reminiscing about it. So my topic that we want to talk about, of course, it's one of the big topics in sports. There's been a lot of things happening, obviously, with the Deshaun Watson stuff, with the Aaron Rodgers stuff in the NFL world. But I want to go to college football for a second. And I want to talk about the fact of the news that the, that Texas, the Texas Longhorns, and the Oklahoma Sooners, two blue bloods of college football, are leaving the Big 12. And they apparently are at least kicking the tires around, potentially joining the SEC, which I don't know how long this has stood, David, but I would say for the better part of my life, which I'm 29 years old, I would say for the better part of my life, the SEC has been the king of college football. I know at one time it was um, it was not called the SEC, right? What was it called? Southwest Con? No, no, not Southwest. There was another name for it. I can't remember, but yeah, you, you, I, I don't know. Sorry, way back in the day before I was born. But anyway, so the SEC has dominated the landscape of college football for a very long time. So there's multiple layers. I know we actually had a question from uh, Joe Broback who asked, and it was part of his question. He said, he asked, does Oklahoma and Texas move to the SEC make that much of a difference for the talent they get? So there's a lot of layers. I want to kind of break this down for a second. The move. I don't blame teams for wanting to join the SEC because I think that you have the eyes on you. And if you get out of the SEC unscathed and you or even one or two losses, there's a higher margin for error because you are playing against the best of the best week in and week out. A one or two loss SEC team has a good opportunity to potentially make the playoffs, especially if there's a playoff expansion, which we talked about a little bit. They go to eight teams like they're talking about. So I think that there is a lot of positivity and a lot of things that a a school would get out of going to the SEC from that angle, from also money, right? They would make a lot of money, a lot of TV money playing in the SEC. So the question though, that arises to me is if I'm Oklahoma and I'm going to go just from Oklahoma, it's because Texas has been back for like 20 years and they still haven't been back since Mac Brown left. They've been, they've been poopy, but Oklahoma, right? Every year, Oklahoma is going to go, undefeated, maybe one loss, and they're going to win the Big 12, and they're going to make the college football playoff because right now they are the cream of the crop in the Big 12 conference. So they have a easy – I don't want to say easy. They have a less difficult road than playing in the SEC to make it to the college football playoff. Now, why I think that they're also – and this is going to Joe's question a little bit is if you're Oklahoma, you have – the 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 string of great quarterback play that you've had. You have Lincoln Riley, who's one of the best head coaches in college football. If you now have the allure of not only do you have Lincoln Riley, not only do you have what they've been able to do offensively in the last few years, their defense is actually improving as well. That this year, I think that Oklahoma is going to have one of the best defenses they had in a very long time. So you have a lot of good things going from you from a from a um, organizational perspective. But then also. Can we talk about the influx of recruiting that could improve if you're a Oklahoma team that is already recruiting pretty well, but now you have the allure now that you're also in the SEC. So from the Oklahoma's perspective, 
I think it makes a ton of sense. I don't know if I quite agree with it just because I think that the road's going to be a little more difficult. And although the positives of being good in the SEC is fantastic, like what if you, I don't want to say middling because they're not going to be a middling team. If you're a team that's just going to go nine and three though on a yearly basis, are you really going to grow that much as a program? That's my biggest question for Texas. Doesn't make any sense. They're not a good team right now. They're not a good program. It, like you're in the hotbed of Texas, right? Where football is king. You should be able to recruit in Texas because you are the University of Texas. Like that is what are you going to go in the SEC? You're going to go in the SEC and you're going to be a pinata. You're going to be a middle tier team. They're going to be like seven and five, eight and four, maybe on a good year, on a good year. So for Oklahoma, it makes more sense to me. Texas doesn't make any sense. So that's just kind of my – I know that was a lot of information. I know that was a lot of perspectives. But for me, it makes sense for Oklahoma to a degree, not fully. Texas doesn't make any sense to me at all. Yeah, for me it makes no sense for either one of them because I think they're both going to go in and be pinatas. I mean, and, and again, think about it. You have Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Florida, Auburn already in, in the SEC. The ones that people don't even realize are in the SEC anymore, but they are. Or what, like Tennessee, um, Ole Miss, Missouri, Arkansas, Arkansas Texas A&M, uh, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, um, you know, South Carolina, Mississippi State. Like, there's 14 teams, if I'm correct here, that are in the SEC, and they're trying to make it 16, which is kind of them to round it out, have eight and eight. That that makes a lot of sense, honestly, for a TV schedule. It makes yeah. a lot of sense for. Playoffs in the SEC makes a lot of sense. 16 is a great number for them. Very, very easily scheduled numbers. So that is a business decision. Understand, this is all business here. It's all revenue-driven. Oklahoma and Texas see an opportunity to come into this this conference, be the final two teams in, in this conference. Great schedule and everything. But I don't know how you're going to make it into the playoff series when you already have, you know, again, look at these teams. You have to go through Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Florida, Auburn. Auburn, you know. I mean, and then you still have, I mean, again, Ole Miss is a good school. You got Lane Kiffin recruiting down there now, so there's going to be some cheating going on. Um, <laughs> you got you got Kentucky, you know, Tennessee might bounce back from, you know, the troubles and tribulations they have. It, And, again, if you say, well, being part of the SEC should help your recruiting, then sure. what the fuck is happening with old, with Mississippi State and Kentucky and Missouri and you know what I mean they just don't have these strong recruiting classes that we're looking at every year going oh good god look at this they're going to be on the come up so you have fourteen teams saturating this and if you go to sixteen teams it's going to be oversaturation so you know for me I thought the allure of Texas Oklahoma staying in the Big Ten being a you know a Big Ten uh, teams. I, I like that a lore more. There was history, there was tradition, you know, and it was a situation where I felt like they could really grow that brand for the Big Ten. And right now, I think they're just chasing the money that the SEC and SEC Network bring, um, and they're you know going after it instead of building the brand of the Big Ten up and maybe attracting some teams to the Big Ten and making it the Big you know twelve, Big thirteen, Big fourteen, Big sixteen. You know what I mean? And, and pumping that conference up instead of trying to just run over to the, the SEC. 
So can we talk about real quickly from, and because we just talked about it from the team's perspective, from the SEC's perspective, brilliant. Like you said, not only the numbers work out, but getting an Oklahoma and a Texas, the, the history that those programs have, you know, as, as again, they are the, like some of the original blue bloods of college football. We talk about Daryl K Royal and Oklahoma and everything that they have, um, everything, sorry, Daryl K Royal and Texas. And then everything that Oklahoma and the Barry Switzers of the world and the fantastic football players that both programs have put out over the history of college football, the sec man to get Oklahoma and Texas would be fantastic. If nothing more for name brands, getting those schools talk about money. Oklahoma is going to make some money. Texas is going to make some money, even if they're not the best programs right now. Specifically. Let me backtrack really quick. I kept saying yeah, Big right. Ten. I meant Big Twelve. Big Twelve. Big Twelve. I meant Big yep. Twelve. My fault. And but you know, again, building the Big Twelve up to me would be a better strategy. But again, viewership for SEC, yep. right? Yep. Think about the SEC now. They because they have Alabama, they have South Carolina and Georgia. Now they have Florida schools, right? With Florida and stuff. Now they'll capture not only Texas A&M, but Texas and Oklahoma. So the viewership for their SEC network will increase. And that, that range in that area for the you know diehard fans that are going to buy the SEC package is going to grow by you know a few states here that are really big sports states, not just football. I mean, they're big sports states. You think about, you know, Baseball in these states, softball in these states, track and field in these states. You know, um, there's just big states that will support more and more of what's going on um, economically at the SEC network. So, again, I, I think this is a pure economic move for them. It, it it makes sense, like you said, on some ways, some levels. I'm just not a big fan of it because I'm a traditionalist. And, I, yes, I'm an old fuddy-duddy. I like things to stay the fucking same. So I guess that you're going to hate what I'm about to ask you then since you're a traditionalist, which I am to a degree. I, I, I think that I am definitely a traditionalist. I am in favor of an expansion for the playoff, so that is not a traditionalist thing, and I am much for that. But my question for you is, what if I told you we have a we have Power 5 and we have a group of five. Let's say that three Power 5 conferences decided, like, hey, let's just combine. We'll keep two other Power 5s, whatever, but we're going to make a super conference. Is there any worlds where you would be okay with a super conference type of restructuring? That's my question for you. Again, I'm getting ready to just be like, you know what? We need to fucking stop. We, we said this during COVID. Stop talking about it being amateur sports anymore. Right. And just come out and say, okay, we're doing this for the money. Like, you know, it, it pay the athletes, let's go. It's not amateur sports anymore. It's minor leagues. Let's, you know, just call it what it is. Because when you look at this, the whole dynamic of it, if they break apart out of the power five into a power three, the only reason they would do that is for money and revenue. I mean, there's no other reason. And would I would I embrace a power five going down if it went down to a power four? Yeah. If we went down to a power three, no. I, I think a triplet with with sports is a bad idea. I think quads makes more sense when regionals and areas are kind of dividing the country up. That would make more sense. Um, do I embrace any of it? No. Because, you know, kids aren't allowed to be kids anymore. And, and we're forcing kids to mature way too quick. And, you know, people are like, oh, 
you know, you're trying to hold them back. No, I'm trying to let them be kids. Like, you know, I and Michael Jordan, what, at nine years old, was still playing baseball. Didn't even play basketball yet. You know, and then right now you got all these specialized training going on for fucking kids, you know, at nine, ten years old. And then you're like, they can't play triple sports in, in, in high school anymore. Like, why not? Well, because there's the football coach will only, you know, he has so much regimentation in his uh, training. He has to train this much for football or the baseball coach requires this. or uh, And I'm like, man, let that go. Let them be kids. It's one time in life. You don't get this time back. There's one time in life you get to be a K-I-D, a kid. I know there's a lot of 40 and 50 year old men acting like kids these days, but there's one time when it's acceptable to be a kid. So let them be kids, you know? And that's my thing. It's like when you start doing all these moves in the, in the suits and everybody are thinking about bottom lines and money, you're ruining the childhood. You're ruining the college experience. And these, these kids are going to get out of college and not even have a really good experience because it was all business. Everything was business. David, are you a South Park fan? Uh, I've watched it a little bit. Do you know? You know, he's like, "How do I reach these kids?" That's, <laughs> that's all I was thinking about right there. I'm sorry. I know that was a weird segue, but yeah, I just want to know where my cheesy poos are. Fuck you. <laughs> um, so I love South Park, greatest show of all time. But that's yeah, for another. Not really, but it was a good show. Uh, that was a great conversation. Um, David, give me your topic. Give me your topic. Too much, too much topic. Too much, too much negativity there, man. You're just a fuddy duddy, right? So I'm not a fuddy duddy. It's just though I'm a father, and I I had a great college experience, all the colleges I went to, and it was just it was fun to get through and do it and and make friends and and it was an incredible time, and I just see so many young men and women putting this pressure on themselves. You know, Gary V, I, was talk- I wasn't talking to him. I was watching him the other day do a speech, and he was talking about how we put too much pressure on ourselves. This one gal was talking to him about changing courses. She didn't want to be a real estate agent anymore, but now she feels like a failure. He's like, why, why are you putting so much pressure on yourself? You just maybe don't want to do real estate anymore. You tried it. You had some success at it, but you don't like it. Move on to the next thing. Like, give yourself permission to move on to the next thing. And what we don't do with our kids anymore is give them permission to try stuff and then fail or just not like it and move on. I remember I tried baseball. I tried soccer. I didn't like it. My mom was like, cool, you don't have to do it. Just, you know, finish the season. Let's go on. You know, you couldn't quit in the middle of the season, but you had to finish the season, move on. And then I found things like football track, things I was good at that I enjoyed. Then I got into powerlifting and you know, those are all things that I was good at and I wound up, you know, having a lot of success taught me how to be successful in life through these lessons. But if I didn't trial and error from an early age, I would have failed. And, you know, all these, you know, football dads and soccer moms wanting their kids to be the top athlete and make sure they're giving them all the advantages in the world. Pump your brakes. Maybe those advantages aren't ones your kids want a or B aren't healthy for your kids. So, you know, pump your brakes and really sit down with your kids and talk to them. That, that's my whole thing. I just want the kids to have a healthy childhood because you can't turn the clock back. And once you start having to get out in the real world, make money as you and I are, you know, we're dads now. 
Like you, you don't have the opportunity to turn it back and go be a kid again. So let them just be kids. I'm with you there. I'm with you there. If you think David is a funny duddy, please put F in the chat and we will move <laughs> on here. David, your topic. Let me hear it. Come on, man. Give it to me. Well, my topic, which I was going to bring to the table tonight, is one mm-hmm. that, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's a little bit of, um, it's a little bit of fun. I'm going to okay. say it's a little bit of fun uh, for me. Oh, but we'll see. We have, enough in the, we, have, we have enough in the chat. See, so what someone agreed. Natasha, shout out to Natasha. F in the chat. David's in the party. It doesn't Thank count. You. That doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> and she knows why that doesn't count. But he's a great dad. But he's a great dad. Shout out David yeah. Turner. Shout out David Turner. All right, your top. Uh, but so she just threw me off. You yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> And it's fun. It's a fun topic. It is fun topic. So (laughs) thinking about all that's going on right now with, with um, like you said, Deshaun Jackson, Aaron Rodgers, um, hmm? Deshaun Watson, sorry, Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers, um, and, you know, things in the NFL. Can you see, can you see, the NFL failing in the next 40 years. Define failing. What does that mean, failing? Crumbling, dismantling, not being a sport. No, I can't. Can you? Why? Here's here's why I say I can't. Okay. And that's why it's fun for me because I walk down this road in my head and they're the big gorilla. They're the hundred pound, you know, the four hundred million dollar gorilla. Mm-hmm. Their efforts internationally to scout and develop players and leagues have failed. They, they they used to have a vision back in the NFL Europe days to try to develop international standard and, and standards for kids and leagues to kind of grow it and and get it going. They dropped off of that, and therefore yeah. now with at home we're seeing less and less kids being permitted to play football and less kids wanting to play football. We're seeing a huge rise in esports, and we're seeing an incredible rise like in non-contact sports, say like uh, skateboarding and surfing and other sports that moms really and dads can get behind that aren't absolute contact collision sports, you know, trying to save their kids' brains a little bit, right? So mm-hmm. – I see it as a situation where, and we're seeing programs drop football programs. Like we're seeing schools, universities drop football programs because of the insurance and different things. And they're putting money into other sports. And so I'm saying that if we see a conglomerate of college sports, like we were just talking about, continue to grow and, and minimize the, access to playing big time ball. So say we see the failing of a a big a big 12. Say the say Michigan leaves the Big 12 and goes somewhere else or something. Now you're gonna see certain schools, maybe like a Vanderbilt, just say, you know what, we're an educational school. We're in the SEC, but we're not gonna have a football program anymore. And and that I'm talking about in 20 years, like in the next 15, 20 years, some of these schools might just tap out because there's less and less kids playing football, less and less kids going, and the international market isn't being developed. You go to things like basketball, baseball, uh, 
you know, women's sports, they've developed leagues internationally and, and hockey um, that bring talent to the United States. We're watching the Olympics right now and every single foreign team, every single foreign team has players that are being educated in, in school here in the United States. I'm watching swimmers from Russia or from Japan, but they they go to school at, you know, USC or they go to school at Oklahoma. I saw, I was watching softball the other night and we were seeing players, you know, for, Oh, she went to school at Florida. She went to school at Oklahoma. I'm like, geez, these are international kids that are playing sports here, but the NFL has not done a good job promoting that and college football has tried to tap into it but there's not a lot of players internationally that are ready to come over and play big d1 school football so Mm -hmm. unless the nfl starts putting money into international development and allowing these players to develop and get better at the sport i don't know if the supply chain will continue to have the elite athletes to play the sport or those those kids when their kids break to the pressure, leave it and go find love for something else. And again, I can see that love for something else be video games because the esport trend is getting so big and it's not, it's a situation where you can sit at home and play on, on your couch. You don't have to go outside and find a team of players to go play a pickup game of football. You know, you don't have to find nine guys to go to the park and play baseball. You know, there, there's a lot of things that uh, uh, sitting at home playing the game on a computer screen gives you an advantage uh, to be able to do it each and every day. And they're getting paid to do it. These stitch channels, these esport cafes, these esport you know tournaments are getting a ton of money behind them. And so I think that that industry to me is very attractive that it will grow and it could absolutely challenge in 30 or 40 years the NFL. Plus, the NFL has a hard time attracting people to come to the games because the tickets are so pricey, the parking is pricey, the food is pricey, and everybody can sit at home with their 90-inch screen TVs, have HGTV, and then Papa John's come over, and they don't have to, you know, they can sit in their sweatpants and whatever. They don't have to get done up and go to the game and pay $9 a beer. Yeah, people are still attracted to be at the games because of the social eventing, but with economic situations the way they currently are, I think NFL and the NFL before the pandemic and before all this struggled to attract people to the stands to get their butts in seats. That's a realistic challenge to their goals of being better businessmen and as well too. So I think you might see a supply chain of athletes that cost the NFL talent level and potential for being really good. Also, they're not developed. They don't have any developmental league here. So they're not developing outside of college football. They're not investing in making players longer careers. Like, you know, a guy like Jake DeLome and Kurt Warner. I mean, I think they were like 26, 27 year old rookies when they came in the league and they became starting quarterbacks. And obviously, Kurt won a Super Bowl. And Jake, I believe, took his team to a Super Bowl. And you know, that's kind of talent they're not developing anymore that NFL Europe did. So without a, even a homegrown developmental league for the NFL, there's no international marketing to develop talent and getting butts in seats to the, to the stadiums, that can cost. And they have huge rosters, right? You have a lot of money going out. You have 53-man rosters. 
you got 10 people on practice squad. I think that's a back up to 15. So you're looking at like almost 70 people you're carrying on a roster. And by the time the end of the season goes with IR carrying another 13 people or so, you're having about 80 people salary you're having to pay out. Where you have a basketball team, you have like 10. You have 12, whatever, you know. You When you have a, a hockey team, you have 20-something. When you have a baseball team, you have 20-something. So it's not like, you know, the NFL has such a huge roster and overhead. They have to generate these huge mon- this huge money. I don't know if it sustains with these other issues that I, I thought about um, going forward. So I think you made a couple of great points, and I'll point out those great points. I think that there is definitely – Need to be an improvement, or at least <laughs> there needs to be something that needs to do better with the development of foreign athletes to the NFL game. I agree 100% there. I also agree the sense of that if you told me it is going to start to deteriorate, it's not the right word, but let's say you know they're just the less and less fans, less and less people that want to participate in the sports. Is because of the continued backlash over head injuries and the safety of the game and all that good stuff. Like I can get behind that. Here's where I don't quite buy it. Um, a couple layers that you talked about. One, for so I people love sports, right? Like we love sports. For me, if there was and if you told me basketball overtook football eventually, I would be like, okay, I think it's a little bit of a stretch, but like I could buy it. But I just don't think that there's like I, I don't think there's a ton of a big threat outside of basketball to potentially overtake the NFL and really hurt their popularity. Like baseball's dead. Let's call it what it is. Baseball used to be America's pastime. Baseball is not America's pastime anymore. We have some fantastic baseball players right now, like the Tatis kid, the Otani kid from from the uh, from the Angels, um, Acuna from from the Braves. Three fantastic young baseball players, but nobody cares about baseball. Like let's call it what it is. Hockey. No one really cares about hockey either. It just kind of is what it is, right? So it's basketball and football in the in in America. Basketball is the biggest threat, but I just don't think there's enough of a threat from a other sports sense to really threaten football long term like that. I just I'm not buying. You that. don't see that's the esports. You don't think. I'm think getting about, there. I'm getting there. I'm getting but there. I was going to say that's the threat for me is because if the kids like you know Gregory, who's 16, right? Yeah. Um, my son's Gregory, so those who listen I don't know, but Gregory's 16. And, you know, he don't watch, like, sports at all. I'm watching the Olympics. Casey, who's my daughter, she's seven, she, she's on her tablet. She don't care about the Olympics. I'm, like, engrossed in it. I'm, like, you know, like I said, I'm watching every sport all day, every day. And my, my daughter's like, eh, nah. But you give them a YouTube person to watch a video game, and they'll they'll watch that for four hours. So by the time those people are our age, I don't know if football is in their blood like it was in ours. I'm not saying it's in their their it's in their blood the same. I don't. I mean, it's their it's. I'm not in their shoes, so I'm not going to pretend to understand exactly what drives them. I can only speak from my own experiences here. What I'm saying, I'm just not buying the esports thing because for me, I grew up a big video game guy, right? Like I loved playing Madden and NBA 2K and you know MLB the Show and all this other stuff. But for me, the big allure with playing video games was an extension of sports. And Gregory might be a might be an instance where like, hey, it's not his like it's not an extension for him because maybe he doesn't watch sports at the time. But for me, like when I played Madden growing up, 
like I wanted to be Steve McNair, you know, breaking the pocket and being the athlete. I like Marshall Falk in the open field. Like you want I, for me, I, I don't want to say envision myself, but like I put myself trying to put myself in their shoes because obviously I can't be them. But like those were my some of my heroes. And I think there's a lot of kids that still idolize professional athletes to a high degree. So like I'm not buying the esports thing just because eventually, if there are like we're talking about the NFL for instance, right? Like let's say eventually you're saying the NFL is kaputs because like no one cares anymore about it. But like, oh, but we want to play the, the the Madden football game still, right? But like, eventually, there's not going to be any football players to emulate anymore. So, it, but I, that's the me, thing. I, I think it, I think it's going to deteriorate each other, though. I don't think that one can exist without the other. Is what I'm saying. I don't think one. Well, can that's exist the thing. Other. The esports are already building on that because if you go play Madden right now, they got like Snoop Dogg in the game. They got social media influencers and stuff that are in that's the game. They got. But stupid. again. The young kids are like, oh, I can be Trey Dog or whatever freaking name is. And, and, <laughs> I don't know his name. My son was just all about it. He was like, oh, this guy. And I, you know, it was, it was some player. I had no idea who the hell it was, some singer. And he's like, oh, yeah, they gave him like super catching ability and this and that. And he's a gold star athlete. And, and then there's a legendary mode and blah, blah, blah. And there are so many tricks and trade that I'm like, esports is setting up to where they don't have to use the real players anymore. You can have a whole team of these genetically modified celebrities and that they gave them these certain traits and levels. You want to have them on the screen. You got to earn them to get them and all this stuff and unlock them. And then once you do that, your team becomes better. So you can have, I mean, you literally, they're going to, I mean, it's, you're gonna have like Kim Kardashian playing left guard, okay? But it, you know, it, and so she's stupid. gonna or she'll be a fullback or whatever. But uh, it's just like, but she's gonna have a 98 rating because of her power and da da da. And this is, but that's what I'm saying. Like mentality wise, we grew up idolizing the player on the TV and on the football gridiron, on the baseball diamond, on the basketball court. Like I watched Michael Jordan, I've watched Larry Bird, Magic Johnson. You know, those guys were like rolling off my tongue. You don't have that anymore. These kids these days, they watch it, they know it, they're educated sports fans, they are, but they're not like us. They're not as engrossed as we were. And that's why I'm saying 40 years, because Gregory then will be 56. It'll not only be his his generation that will have some, they'll still have some you know, interest in it, but it's his kids and his grandkids that I don't know if that interest will be there because the efforts aren't being done right now. Well, if it does happen, David, if you are correct, all I'll say is I'll be an old man at that point and I'll just be like, oh, back in my day, we did it right. We played we played the game the way it should have been played. So I'll be the old grumpy guy on the on the porch. I don't care. It's you're the you're the oldest 30 year old I know. That might be true sometimes. As the world starts to open back up and workers return to the office place, are you looking how to improve team dynamics? Maverick Sports Consulting is here to help you welcome your employees back to the workplace with some team-building exercises. We will bring your company back together in an energetic way, a way that will motivate them to work together in person again. We are excited to help you welcome back your company to the in-person work environment. Sign up today at maversportsconsulting.com. All right, David, last section. We know it is the mailbag. We just had a couple 
weird questions that came in too, by the way. So I think we're up to like nine questions at this point. Let's bang out this one. Uh, Strange one that that underscore Brett underscore guy, shout out to that Brett guy, asked how much is too much money for a ballpark hot dog? So first and foremost, all right, so imagine you're going to the Arizona Arizona Diamondbacks, I guess, right? I would be going to the Philadelphia Phillies. So they're asking us, how much is the cutoff point for one of the delicious hot dogs? I will say dollar dog night for one. We're just going to dollar dog night. But how much is the most that I would pay for a hot dog at a ball game? Oh, man. see What is it now? Like six? Like six bucks, right? For no. Like here, well, More? here are the – here at the Diamondbacks, they got these giant dogs. I mean, they're like 13 inches. They're big, and they're and they're and they're delicious. Like they're there's I, mean, I hate to say this, but they're they're big and delicious hot dogs. Um, but you know, I think they're going for nine nine bucks or twelve bucks, and the oh, line awesome. is yeah nine or twelve bucks, and the line's always around the block for them. Like like when you walk in, everybody's going to the dog stand, and they'll load them up with chili they'll load them up with you know relish brat or uh, sauerkraut whatever you want you know um with them but they're big dogs and literally i know parents love to get them and cut them in half and feed their kids each half and and it's Good like idea. 12 bucks you're basically paying six bucks a dog you know what i mean um reasonable. But, yeah yeah but um i know you know th- there's some bigger dudes that go over there and get two and i'm like whoa that's a bit much. I, I watched one guy try to power down two chili dogs one night at the at the Diamondback game, and I was like, "Oh, I don't want to live with that guy later." Holy crap! All right, so your answer is that you would pay for it because you're getting a bang for your buck. At least you're getting a nice meat. Well, I mean, if it's a dog. standard hot dog, you know, if it's like a you know six twelve inch hot dog or six eight inch hot dog, you know, standard issue one. I think you know, I think you're going you know six bucks. Six bucks is a good price, but if you're getting like one of the jumbo dogs, you know, I think you can get to 12 bucks. I think you can get to 12 bucks. I was going to say six to seven dollars. That was going to be my answer because I'm not talking about like the gigantus hot dog that you're talking about, right? Like I'm just talking about a regular hot dog. I will say this though. If my, if a hot dog ever got up to like 10 or more dollars, dude, I'm just spending that much money on a cheesesteak. Like, why am I getting a hot dog at that point? I, I'm going to a Phillies game. I'm going to be in Philly. Why would I get a hot dog for $12? It doesn't make any sense to me. I'm going to get a cheesesteak. Like, so, yeah. Good dude, question. I'm also right? one of those guys that I like to show up to the bar before that's over there and, and eat and drink a couple beers before I go into the game. So when I get in the game, all I want is, a you know, a nachos or a, or a you know, some more beer and just hanging out. I don't really want to eat the food there. I'd rather stop at the bar across the street and eat. So next question we have is from Michael Rockman, who actually just went on his live stream last week. He's a good dude. He asked, is there a nose tackle in this class, 2022 class, that could go in the first round? Or do, And then the second part of the question is, or do you think the position is always going to be viewed as a mid-round pick going forward? So I will answer the first part of that question, David, and I'll let you go into – the trend of the nose guard, nose tackle position. I would say there is absolutely nobody that fits that traditional zero one technique in this 2022 draft that I would be comfortable taking in the first round. Absolutely not. The best one in that mold is probably Jordan Davis from um, from Jordan Davis from Georgia, who is David six foot six plus. This is verified measurable six foot six plus three hundred and sixty pounds. 
of a defensive tackle, a gigantic man, massive. Um, so he's probably the best one that fits that traditional mold. He's like a John Henderson, if you're thinking back to like the Jacksonville Jaguars when they had Marcus Stroud and John Henderson, right? Um, he's not worth a first-round pick, in my opinion, because he does not impact third down at all. He, I think he had, might have like one or two career sacks. Like he's not that dude that is going to play a high volume of sacks. We have Blake, and we actually talked about this on the Believe in NFL Draft Prospect podcast because we talked about interior defensive line this week. And I spoke about like when we had uh, – this is a shout-out to another uh, interview that we had in the past. We had Blake Bettingfield on, right? He was talking about the the trend of the interior position kind of like we're doing now, and he said a lot of those guys now, the, the pluggers, the two-down pluggers that it, you guys used to love, right, are now becoming almost one-down players just because of the – amount of passing now that is in the league. Like you're going to take those guys off the field more than you used to. So I don't think the volume for a guy like Jordan Davis is enough. I don't think the impact on third down is enough. So no, the answer to the question is I do not think there's a nose tackle worthy of a first round pick in the 2022 NFL draft. I think there's a guy that can play three tech, four, four I, and maybe some five in DeMarvin Leal from Texas A&M who might be worthy of a top 10 to 15 but he is definitely not your traditional nose ta- nose tackle playing zero to a one tech. Absolutely not. And you know where I'm going. If it fits your scheme and you feel the player is worth the pick, you take the player. So for me, when I look at you know that kind of argument, it's like I don't know because I haven't seen the player and I don't know what my coach's scheme is. You know, if I'm sitting there and I need a, a zero. And there's a guy, and I'm picking the back end of the first, and I know I'm not going to see him back end of the second, then I'm going to take him. If I can't trade back to get him in the top of the second, I'm going to take him in the first. Also, by taking the guy in the first, you get a five-year option. You get that fifth-year option on him, which is an investment and a strategy to make sure the middle of your defense is plugged up. I mean, yeah, you, you, you know, he might not give you a lot of value on third down and passing downs, but that first down – by plugging up the middle, penetrating, causing some di- some disruption in the backfield, making it instead of a, a second and seven, making it a second and thirteen because he made the tackle in the backfield, or or he or he tangled up and created a traffic jam where linebackers could knife in and make that kind of play. I mean that's 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 huge benefits that us scouts like we, we really like and we get excited about. I get that it's not sexy, but the trench work is the best work. I mean, if you can win the trenches in, and you can get in there and you can plug them up, it, it completely shuts off the run game. It completely shuts off play action game. It completely shuts down a lot of what offenses want to do because they can't sell the run when you got a big John Henderson in the middle saying, nope, you ain't running in here today. All I'll say is, for me, that player – isn't even affecting 50% of the snaps anymore. So for me, I value him less. It's like this, David. Like, it's like, so an all around nose tackle that, like, hey, can push the pocket. I'm not asking him to have a high volume of sack numbers because that's not going to happen. But like a guy that can affect both the run and the pass game, it's still possible. There's guys like that. Um, I think of like a Marcel Darius that came out a few years ago from Alabama that was on the Buffalo Bills and a couple other teams. Like he was that true one tech and he would only get like five ish sacks a year, but like he would push the pocket. He would create pressure. There was an all around skill set to me to him to, for a guy to be a first round selection for me at the defensive tackle position. I need a guy that affects both. 
I don't want just a one trick pony. That's like, that's like for me, a linebacker, right? A linebacker that can, that is great against stopping the run, but can't play the pass in the game. How the game is today. That's just not a valuable football player as much anymore. I can get that guy. I can get that rotational defensive tackle that can stop on first down runs. Maybe not as well as a Jordan Davis, but also I don't think Jordan Davis is going to go in the first round because I just don't think he's that special of a football player. But I think that there's there is depth to find those guys in the second, third, fourth round. Like I think you could find that guy that is a one trick. I don't want to say one trick pony because I just think of pass rushers when I say that, but a one impact type of player. I think that that is a limiting factor now with how the game is played. Yeah, I again, I think it has to be as any way about it. Yeah, he's got to be a special player, right? Sure. Yeah, and if he's a special um, one tag, I'm good with it because the special one tag is affecting right. both both sides of it. You know what I mean? So yeah, I'm good with that. Absolutely. But I mean, I'm always going to value. I'm just always going to value an Aaron Donald that's going to play three tech right and dominate over a guy that's potentially special at one tech. Even like I don't know, we're just. Also, 2022 NFL Draft. If you love interior defensive linemen, don't don't look at any of them because it's not it's not going to make you too happy. Because I just talked about Jordan Davis and I basically just slandered him for a couple minutes there, and he's probably the second best defensive tackle of the class because there's just not anybody else after Demarco Leal. So, not a good class of 2022. I know David Turner loves 2022 talk. We'll get more into that as we go. Our good jet friend Jack Despo mm-hmm. said. What makes a prospect one of your favorites? Not necessarily the best. But a reason why you love to watch them. So it's these players, David, that maybe aren't the best football players, but we just, there are guys, you know, like there's something about them that is special to us. So what makes somebody a guy for you that you kind of see something in that maybe isn't even the best football player? For me, it's the personality, it's the person. Yes. You know, when I, when I'm scouting and I'm meeting people, through my whole career and they have personality and they're, I don't, they don't have to be overly charismatic, but they're genuine. That's the word I'm looking for. They're genuine who they are. Like when I met a player just a few years ago, Michael Gallup, you know, he was a country boy and that's just who he is. And he had a big old dip in his mouth and it was just like, this is who I am. Unapologetic. Who I am. He's a little bit shy around big crowds, but one on one, Michael had a great personality of who he is. What he, you know, when I met Kevin Bosch the first time, the t- old tight end for the Giants and stuff, similar. He walked in. He was not a country boy. He was more just like kind of a, you know, suburban kid. And he just was, this is who I am. It's, you know, like me or don't. But he knew who he was, so therefore I enjoyed talking and meeting with him, spending time with him. I mean, through my whole career from Shaq Thompson to, God, Danny Shelton to, you know, God. So I've been so fortunate to even, OG, uh, you know, Odell. Odell, you know, kind of he knew who he was better one-on-one than he was in a group. But mm. when it came to Odell, I enjoyed him. You know, I, I think his, his ego has gotten, gotten away from him because he's been such a big star. That being said, there's a good man inside of him. And, you know, if he ever checks that ego at the door, I think he'd be a fantastic, fantastic teammate and player. He just has to calm down on the uh, the Odell persona a little bit for me. But that all being said, it's it's the personality. It's the person inside that they are. That's what I enjoy the most. And watching them have fun playing a game that I, 
I love to play, but I was not fortunate to have the athleticism to play the level they get to play is, is something that always attracts me to players. I agree completely. I would have said personality as well. I also say I love digging into backstories on players just because I think that I think that experiences make you who you are, which is directly, you know, part of the personality, right? That's what builds the personality. We only have a couple more here that we're going to get to because we're running a little bit over time. We will go back to Joe Broback for a second, David. The first part of his question, I think that we should break this down to a little more broad. He said, what's your best advice for someone who's evaluating prospect? Maybe if you could just give one scouting tip. Like, let's just keep that to one scouting tip. I will start a scouting tip that I will say is block out noise before you go in. Um, I think that sometimes, especially if you're a, a Twitter scout, right, sometimes there is – preconceived notions that you have over players for me it doesn't bother me i know some people just have a tough time differentiating sometimes because like sometimes i hear wow this kid's fantastic this kid's fantastic and then i go watch him and i'm like this kid that that's the kid that everyone's getting up uh, overly you know overly juiced about like i don't see it or it's the other way it's like oh oh we're a little down on him and then i watch him and i'm like huh, i think he's pretty darn good football player so i think especially being a Twitter scout, a guy in the media, block out the noise a little bit. David, quick one that you want to give us? I'll tell you what Gettleman taught me. Yep. On your grading scale, everybody should be a consistent starter. When you sit down and you do the homework, you, you start watching the film, have it in your mind, this is a consistent starter. And then let them play themselves up or down from there. It just depends on what, what it is you're looking for, how they fit your scheme, but don't stop or don't start with a bias. Like you said, turn the noise out. If you're yeah. on the road and you're, you're hearing people not like a certain guy, you're going to go in there not liking them right off the bat. Yeah. But if you just go in with the mindset, this guy's a consistent starter. He's obviously a starter in college football. So there are some traits there that obviously make him a starter. I think too many people kill kill off players too fast and they fail to realize, hey, this is a starter in major college football. There has to be some traits to like. Identify those traits and then subsequently they can drop from consistent starter or they can go up. But just starting on that midway or that, that consistent platform will help you be consistent in your grading. Absolutely. And I will say that there is only a couple more here. So we're going to try to bang a couple. I'm going to bang a couple of these out real quick, David, because there's a couple that are very specific to towards 2022. And then I want to end us a little bit about some nickelback, some slot corner talk. Uh, we had Lord A. Kroos, I, I think, Dynasty at Dynasty Nuts. Fantastic name. Uh, asked, who's your number two overall pick, assuming Christian McCaffrey goes first? One quarterback league, no premiums. I'm leaning Camara. Others say Cook. I would also go Kamara. I, I think that they will be leaning heavy on him, especially with a little uncertainty on whether it's Jameis Winston or if it is Taysom Hill at quarterback. I think that the outlet running back option that he presents over 80 receptions, I think in each of the last two years, maybe three years, um, obviously they don't have a heavy usage of him in, in as a runner all the time because they have Latavius Murray also on the team. But I think the receiving option that he brings in a PPR league is fantastic. So that is one for me. Uh, we have Mark Roberts, fantastic last name, by the way, Mark. Shout out to you. Uh, says, will Kenyon Green be drafted as a tackle, a guard center, or a two bites at the apple guy? I think he's going to be drafted as – so he's a fantastic 
um, case study a little bit because he was a All-American guard, fantastic football player for Texas A&M. Kenyon Green starting left guard. He started as a right guard as a true freshman, was a freshman All-American. Going into his junior year now, they had Carson Green and they had Dan, um, they had, uh, Dan Moore Jr., both left for the NFL. So Kenyon Green is shifting out the tackle. I will say if he dominates his tackle – you're going to drive him as a tackle. But I think that his best spot on the next level is at guard. I think that his power in tight spaces really plays well in condensed areas. I don't think that his length is anything special. I think he's a good athlete, a very good athlete on the interior, but I don't think he's a special athlete at offensive tackle. So I think ultimately he's going to be drafted as a guard. Can he give you some spots at at offensive tackle potentially? But I think he is a guard ultimately down the road. And then the last 2022 question, Eric Haroff. I don't even know if I'm saying your last name correct, Eric. Shout out to you, though. Thoughts on Coastal Carolina senior defensive end, Jeffrey Gunter. Um, So I would say Jeffrey was a weird eval for me a little bit. I think I gave him a early fourth round grade, late third, somewhere in that ballpark. Talented football player. I think he's coordinated. I think he's 6'4 plus. I think he's 265 pounds. I think he has some shock in his hands. I think he's, I don't think he's the most flexible player of all time. I think he's more of a linear explosive guy that needs to kind of be a little bit of a power converter and have some inside moves. I think there's, he needs to continue to develop the nuance. A little bit of a strange player though, because they ask him to play in space a ton, which like I don't agree with. Like for me, he's a hand in the dirt four three defensive end. I don't want him working from depth at all. I don't think he's a stand up rusher. Get his hand in the dirt. I think he's going to be a situational solid rusher for an NFL team. Don't think there's any high volume potential, but like you could sell me on him being a five to seven sack a year guy as a rotational piece. And the last question tonight, David, asking about Nichols solving football ass for the 2020 season. Five of the top six pro football focus graded slot cornerbacks were undrafted. In 2019, seven of 12 were undrafted. Coverage is king, but slot corners don't matter. Who are some that you like in 2022? I don't want to talk about 2022 too much because I haven't gotten deep enough into the cornerback room. My question is, David, when are we going to, and do you think that we're going to get to a point where, where NFL teams start valuing the nickel position a little higher? Because it does seem like a lot of them are either drafted late mid-rounds, or undrafted. We have not gotten to the point yet now where slot corners, which in a lot of defenses are now, are, you know, they're a starting player. We haven't gotten to the point where those guys are drafted usually in the first couple rounds. It just hasn't happened yet. I wonder if you think that we are we are gearing towards that evolution. Uh, I'm going to say no. Okay. Because, then, no, they're not going to get valued anymore. The value is going to be where they is. Um uh, because, and this is why, because at, like we've talked about at the NFL level, <clears throat> playing nickel is a lot different trait than playing it in college football. When you have four wide outs, always running routes and doing things, you, you're typically a smaller player, sometimes just quicker, a slider of feet, you know, to work in the middle and then, and then on the slot in the NFL, you don't see four wideouts. You're going to see three. You're going to have a tight end. You're going to have a guy flex. You're going to have 12 personnel. You're going to need to be able to – it's not going to be some little slot receiver at all times, you know, that you got to line up on. So you're going to see more – you need bigger, longer corners to play in there. I know we see some nickels that are small or short, I should say. You shouldn't call them small. They're short and thick, <laughs> but they have quick – Huh? Height challenged. That's yeah, like myself. But you know they're a lot faster and a lot quicker. Uh, but that's what that's what you see 
But I feel with the size of receivers that are typically coming out and the abilities that we're seeing out of the slot receiver position, you're going to see more outside corners from the college ranks get thrown into the nickel and train them in the nickel. Then you'll see a straight nickel be valued in the draft. Okay. Now, if you don't value them in the draft, that's fine. You pick them up after the draft, they could develop into one, but size is still king. Length is still king in the NFL. So therefore you have to really think about that when you're, when you're drafting for value. Yep. I, I agree. And I think that cornerbacks are going to get more adept. And I kept talking about why I like JC Horn so much this last draft is because he can follow a guy into the slot. You don't have to move things around, right? Like for, for me, the, the nightmare is like, Hey, we have a big boundary receiver. Now we're going to throw a tight end in the slot next to him. And now we have length, length and length. Like what is happening to that nickel now if, if you're rotating some size outside and or inside how is he going to function so i agree i don't think that it's going to be overly valued i think that they're going to be drafted the good ones where they continue to be drafted but i think there's going to be a big influx of guys that can play multiple positions in the secondary i think that that is the next step and the recurring issue of being the matchup dictator league that it is now. Shout out to everyone here, Mouse Sports Take, episode 50. I know we went over a few minutes. One institution, Jody Leon, please forgive us. It was our 50th show, man. Like, you just got to forgive us. Going to leave it off to David Turner a second. Before we do, want to say if you could like, share, subscribe, rate, give us that five star review at Mav Sports Take. We really appreciate it so much. Make sure that you follow us again. We'll be back same time, same place, 8 30 Eastern time. Next week with, I'm sure, another great interview or another great guest or just great topics, obviously. Uh, Natasha, thank you so much for the congrats on the 50th. Thank you so much for being with us and everybody else that was with us. David Turner, final word of the night, my friend. What do you want to leave us with? You know, there's there's other stuff we could talk about, but I got to mention Greg Knapp one more time. He passed away. He was fighting for his life last week when we were on, but this week he, uh, he passed away, and so I really feel for his family and and the, the community, the NFL community that he's touched so deeply. Uh, I just want to uh, send prayers, obviously, and, and uh, love to the family, to the community, everybody who knew Greg. Um, we're really, really sad about his passing and, and the circumstances that led up to it. So that's my final thought. But thanks to everybody on the 50, the 50 episodes that you've paid attention to, you've contributed to, you've uh, been a part of for us. We thank you for that love. We hope to bring you another great 50 uh, coming up and like you know, you know our, our 100th episode that that's going to be you know we're going to make sure that's a party absolutely absolutely and of course um, I would love to reiterate the prayers and the condolences to the Nat family like David kind of wanted to relay there and I want to say thank you again to everybody again same time same place folks appreciate you your unmuzzled sports talk we are Mav Sports Take signing off for tonight thank you all so much Thanks for listening to another episode of Mav Sports Take. Connect with us on social media, share your thoughts on today's episode, and tell us what we should take on next time on Mav Sports Take. Want more from our hosts, David and Ryan? Visit maverick and learn how we can help you take the next step in your sports career. Until next time, this is Mav Sports Take.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.